Hey everybody, welcome to the Bay Shed Podcast. My name's Ryan Roberts. How you doing, folks? Uh, my name is Ryan. I would like to welcome all the new listeners. Thanks for checking out the podcast. You can also uh, find information at facebook.com backslash the base shed, Twitter at base shed, Instagram at the base shed. Uh, there's a YouTube channel. There's links to all of it at the shed.com. And you can email me at Ryan at the shed.com as well. Um, you can sign up for the newsletter that that goes out uh, probably a couple times a month, right? Letting letting everybody know what's going on with the content on the website as far as upcoming guests um, on on the podcast, and um, you can sign up for the newsletter by texting the word shed s h e d to six six eight six six. Once again, that is the word shed s h e d to six six eight six six. All right, so today on the show is Dan Lakin. Dan Lakin is a co-founder of Lakeland Bases. Uh, I play at Lakeland, and I've played at Lakeland for a while, so it was cool to connect with him and hear more about the the origin of the company. Uh, he also talks about the new brand of uh, bases that he's releasing, which is D. Lakin Bases. Um, and it's been fun to get to know Dan over the last, I'd say, maybe three or four weeks, somewhere in there. Um, him and I talk pretty regularly, and this guy definitely knows his stuff about the the history of the electric bass. And uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to him, not only here on the podcast, but in all the conversations we've had just uh, personally between him and I. And... Um, so there's there's some YouTube things that he talks about and that I mentioned that I will put up on the Base Shed YouTube page, and I will do that later today. Uh, I have not done it yet, so by the time, you know, if if anybody's hearing this as soon as it's posted, <laughs> it has those things have not been up yet, but they will be up later today, and today is uh, Wednesday, September 18th. So there's all that. Um, those things will be live. And, um, yeah, it was a really fun time talking with Dan, and here it is. Here's my chat with Dan Lakin. Uh, man, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I love it. I love your podcast. You're doing great things. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, there's a few things I want to talk to you about. One, obviously, and uh, is Lakeland Bases. Uh, we've talked... Uh, both on record and off record a little bit over the phone um, about some of that. I, but what I don't know is how the, the company really came to be, so I do want to get there. Okay. Uh, but I want to know also about your musical backstory. Um, sure. Again, I know some of that from what we've talked about, but is um, is bass your first instrument? Yeah, bass was my first instrument. And what happened was I was 11 years old. I had just moved to a new town, which was only about five miles from where I was born, which was Skokie, and we moved to Winnetka. And when I moved, I um, lost all my friends, and, you know, five miles when you're 10 is is as good as 100 miles. So I, uh, within the first couple weeks of school, uh, I met 
a couple of brothers named the Piricellos. Uh, that name okay. sounds familiar to some because they're they run Lakeland now. Anyways, okay. they had older brothers who were in a local uh, country rock band. They were really good. They were called Ure, and they would rehearse in the basement uh, while we were playing ping pong. They, these guys were rehearsing, and it didn't take long for John, Steve, and I to decide that we wanted to join the party and start playing instruments. So. I remember this white, cream white music master bass with a Fender headstock and the Fender name hanging in a music store. And I just said, I don't know why, because I didn't know what bass was. But I said, right. I want I want to play that. And the Pericello brothers okay. uh, were guitar players, so bass was needed to, to fill out yeah. the package. So... <clears throat> It was a store in Evanston, Illinois, that I rented a Nashville brand, which I I need to look those up. I've never seen one since. It was an EBO copy, short scale, and I'm talking, I was probably 5'2 at the time. Um, and I took some lessons there. Uh, I quickly became interested in instruments as much as playing. And okay. uh, ha had to have something that was closer to a fender. So, um, what kind of, what was the pickup situation in this Nashville base? Is it to be honest, like I don't a remember. Base copy? No, okay. no, no. It was an EBO copy. Uh, okay. and I had a really bad amplifier. I mean, really horrible. <laughs> I don't even know where I got yeah, my, it from. My first amp was homemade. I think this then was, I graduated I to like a gorilla One Twelve that I had to slap <laughs> on the side. So it would work. This, Mine had an eight or ten inch speaker, and it was it was junk. But uh, I eventually had to have something that looked more Fender. So another store that was important in my life is a place that still exists called the Music Gallery. And my mother bought me. Well, actually, John, one of the Piricello brothers, drove me because it was about ten miles from where I lived, and we bought. I bought an Ibanez jazz bass which was about as tall as i was because it was full scale <laughs> <laughs> i it's funny because i i actually had it in a full hard shell case gig bags were not very big at that time and uh, i had what to year walk. is this what, what year are we this talking be 76 okay. 75 76 so I, I i had to walk to the train which was like a mile away to take lessons my um Oh, wow. My mother couldn't couldn't drive me for some reason. I think she was into afternoon vodka and didn't want to take the wheel. So <laughs> I had to I had to walk to the train station, and I would honestly it would it would be like my portable city bench because I would walk like eighty feet, sure. and then I would put it down and I would sit on it as if it were a bench. Yeah. But that didn't happen for very long, and then I found a bass instructor who came to my home stinking like reefer that's where i first smelled that and he was good he got me he got me going and he was a good teacher yeah. he loved my ibanez because i very quickly had to get a rickenbacker because i was a big mccartney fan and okay. again being more about the equipment than the instrument i had to buy a rick i bought a rickenbacker uh used yeah. a couple 300 bucks probably uh was natural and i had that for for quite a while but you still have it? Or, like what happened to it? No, no. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it was traded in on, I think, a Hamer cruise base or something okay. like that. Um, <laughs> I have loved hate. I have loved hate with Rickenbackers. I love the look of them and all, but I, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't. 
think the tone is exactly what I want. Um, but anyway, so I had uh, the other thing that happened around this time in 76, the store that I was, we used to take the train, John, Steve, and I, we would take the train to this store called the Music Gallery of Highwood, and again, about 10 miles away. And they were they were one of the first Music Man dealers. And they, okay. and, and very quickly, I learned about the Fender history and why pre-CBS instruments were were more sought after. But at the time, everybody looked at Music Man as coming in as the new, this is Fender's new thing. It's going to be right. big. And it was yeah. big on the bass side, but the guitars uh -huh. never caught on. The guitars, and then, right. I don't know all the details, but Leo had problems with uh, some his partners, and they decided to get out of Music Man and start GNL. So the the Fender era Music Mans were only around from seventy six to eighty, but they're wonderful okay. instruments. They're they're you know sure. they're the, they're the third greatest bass out of three. There's the Precision. There's the jazz, and then there's the stingray, and they're all under Leo. Anyway, so right. I, I I moved on. Junior high is over. I went to high school. The Piracellos moved away. Uh, but I was well on my way to bass, uh, playing bass, and we had a really good music program at the, at the high school I went to. It was a uh, jazz band, and the band director actually knew who Jocko was, and... <laughs> the, the, the music program had six Fender jazz basses that were okay. I I was given a black '73 with a maple neck and pearl blocks that I kept between the freshman year and senior year was my bass. Uh, they so, also yeah, so they gave, let you take it home, so you had something yeah, to practice on and yeah, all that. That's they, great. They also gave me a uh, an upright bass, a, a nice one. Oh wow! I okay. kept at home, so it was. It's an affluent area. The music program was was big, but the, the band director was maniacal, and he was he was brilliant. He was he put the jazz band. I mean, I got we we recorded albums, and I've got some recordings, and we were pretty damn good as a big band. He, he nice. The jazz band was very important to me for a couple of reasons. I mean, I learned how to play bass. I stayed out of trouble because jazz band was eighth period. All my friends at this point, oh, okay. we're talking 77, 78, they're going off. We had a forest preserve right next to the school. And everybody was yeah, going off there going. Get, getting high. Uh, right. And I could, although I enjoyed marijuana, I did it in the evenings after homework was done. But I could not walk into jazz band impaired. The, it was, okay. it was highly, highly pressured. And the band director, another thing is, he hated rock. He thought rock music was... You know the depth. how old of a guy was he? Was he a younger? Oh, teacher? he was. He was in his forties. He was okay. in his forties. Roger Mills was his name. I, I can't thank him enough because he really. I really learned how to play. And as far as being, I was in jazz band and I was in orchestra and chamber orchestra. So I learned upright. I can still mm -hmm. pick up an upright, and I know the fingering. I studied the Samandel method. I only got through fifteen pages in two years, but. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, that, that going through some mandal is a dedication. Cause it's, you have to find ways to make that creative to play right. because it's a, it's, it's good information, but it's stale information. Yeah. Uh, no, I, my upright, you teacher, have to got to come up with some things to stay engaged in that. Book. Right. Well, I, I use that and, and electric on the electric side. I use the book, which also is used 
for jazz called The Evolving Bassist by Rufus Reed. I don't yeah, know if you're sure. familiar with that. But anyways, the, the, the jazz band director, we, we used to have these little rehearsal rooms, and we had a couple of guitar players who were not in the jazz program sitting in, and we were playing the devil's music. I think we were playing Whippin' Post by Allman Brothers. He walks okay. in, and he sees us, and he doesn't say anything. Walks out. I'm in jazz band, and we start playing, and, and, and the, he stops the band, and he looks at me, and he goes, Dan, how much rock do you do a day? Now, this is well before crack, understand. He goes, how much rock do you do a day? And I'm like, I don't know. Goes, For every hour of rock music you play, it sets you back, it sets you back two hours in jazz. So this guy was, I mean, he, he had his, but I mean, we, we this, this, under his tutelage, we went and did a tour of Greece and Romania. I'm talking about full band, Fender basement amplifiers, a Fender Rhodes piano, which he had to chase down a luggage thing when United Airlines was throwing all our equipment. And Anyways, right. I, I learned how to play and I enjoyed it. And I was never exceptional. I was kind of like, I got an award in the senior year, the Louis Armstrong Award, which is the Miss, in, in our area, was the Miss Congeniality Award. Basically, it was the award for the nicest personality. But yeah. there were always bass players better than me, uh, either older or younger. So, But I was competent, and I could read quarter notes. Were you the only? Uh, were you the only bassist in the jazz band, or was there a couple, and you guys would rotate on different tunes? Yeah, there were always two. Um, okay. There was the the recording jazz band was the uh, highest level, and then there were lab, what we call lab jazz bands, that were below it. And sophomore year, I was in the lab band, but they only had one player in the recording band, and when they announced they were going to Greece and Romania, they had to have a backup. So okay. uh, I was pulled in halfway through my uh, halfway through my um, uh, my sophomore year to be in the top band. But in addition nice. to having the um, the having the jazz band and orchestra and such, we also had private lessons at school. I took lessons wow. from a guy named Eric Hochberg, who's still an act, very active bass player in jazz in Chicago. He's, he's an amazing bass player, upright and electric. And uh, okay. he had, I remember he had a stackpot 1960, and we sat down for a lesson, and all I could do was drool over his bass. But, <laughs> so I, I learned a lot, and when it came time to get ready for college, my father was not really for me being going into music and I had in addition to being in Jasmine I had gone to some Jamie Abersall camps you know growing okay. up so uh, nobody else nobody else in the family was a musician no, or no, or no, even no. dabbled no dabbled my grandfather had a banjo but I I never heard about him actually playing it I think he owned it but uh, okay being in the in the jazz program and then the Abersall camps I got to see what it took to be a musician and I sure. didn't have it. I didn't have it. I, I didn't have the talent. I might have been able to get through a music degree, but my dad wasn't too big on it, uh, and I wasn't too big on it. So I was planning to. And go what was into your dad's? It. What was your dad's line of work? Just to understand oh, the perspective, kind of. Yeah, well, it's kind of important because it weaves into the Lakeland story a little bit. But we have a family business which actually still operates for over a hundred years, 
And uh, okay. the main part of the business is tire recycling. Um, okay. We used to be involved in collection of old tires, and then we would take the tires and we would die cut products out of the strips of rubber, which again, we still do today. And oh, wow. the, the applications are, are strange, but they're, they're good. If you have a combine, there's some of our rubber paddles inside the combine, John Deere combine, or a school bus has about 80 pads, square pads of rubber between the body and the chassis. And we make those oh. pads. Wow. So okay. we've had entrepreneur like, uh, has been around my family since the get go. So we've always been yeah. people that run, that run companies. So, you know, okay. Uh, so, um, I started, I was going to go into Purdue university, uh, as a, uh, engineering technology, which is kind of a watered down engineering program that would allow, which would give me the background, a better background to go into the family business. Um, when I was 18 in July, and I was scheduled to go to college in the end of August, I first became aware that I was a bipolar, or at the time they call it manic depression, and I really had a bad, what we refer to now as a psychotic episode, and I was hospitalized. I for thought it went the other way, actually. I thought it used to be called bipolar, and now it's called manic depression. Is it the other way around? Yeah, it's the other way around. It was Okay, so it was first. manic depression, now it's... Right. Bipolar, and then there's also different types of bipolar because I've heard about people being there's bipolar, bipolar one or bipolar two. two. Yeah, and yeah. I get them mixed up to be honest. But uh, sure. another famous bipolar is Jocko, and I'm not comparing myself to Jocko in any way. But sure. we both suffer right. from the same disorder, and uh, I was treated early on with medication and then therapy, which I followed through. And there have been times over the last, well, I guess it's been uh, thirty five years since I was diagnosed and I've had, I've had a lot of issues with it, but so I didn't go to college right away. Uh, I ended up going to finally ending up a couple years later at SIU, uh, John, the Piricello again, John, the one that I was closest to had a band yeah. at SIU, Southern Illinois university, and he didn't have a bass player. So he, um, asked, if I'd be interested in coming down there. And it was just perfect time for me in my life. I didn't, I was going to DePaul, which was a commuter college. I didn't meet a lot of people, especially girls. And mm -hmm. I wanted to change. So I, I transferred down to Carbondale. And at okay. Carbondale, uh, our band was called Synthetic Breakfast. And uh, we played covers. <laughs> what's, the, what's the story there? What's the story <laughs> uh, behind the name? Well, at the, at the time of, that, that we named the band. There were a lot of goofy breakfast, like a bacon strip that was actually bacon and eggs all in a strip. It was crazy okay. products. So that's where it came from. And we were a cover band who got into some originals later on, but we we did a lot of Birds, uh, King Crimson, Dire Straits, R.E.M. It was a kind of a cool okay. set list. And I really enjoyed it. We played like, Three nights a week, um, I played golf every day. Life was fantastic. Um, I, at that time, golf? I still do. Yeah, I'm not very good, but no. I plan to change that. Yeah. I but, tried um, to back in the day. I, I suck. I gave it up. I one just, I never really started. You got to go down the I don't, rabbit hole. Yeah, and I I don't I don't care enough about it to do that. It it's um yeah it's something I love and hope to do more of. 
Um, but I, um, so I played, I met, I met a girl who became my wife, Cheryl, and uh, stayed there until uh, 87, I think. Yeah, December of 87. Then I moved back to Chicago and I went to work for the family. I uh, got married, went to work for the family since 1988. And immediately I went on the downside of the bipolar. I became depressed. I was now okay. going to going to work at 7 a.m., doing a job I didn't like doing. My dad would say, go raise that price on that customer. And, that, and that's uncomfortable when you have to tell a customer their price is up. Sure. I was not good at it. I, I I, you know, and he'd tell me what to say and what not to say. And I'd be put in this box where I, I, I it was just, it wasn't good. Um, was that the catalyst for the depression working for the, yeah. uh, like not, uh, not being involved in music and just doing this kind of family business and yeah, well, giving up hand, on this passion that wasn't, or that is hand, inside of you. It goes hand in hand. Uh, as I became depressed with what my daily work, my job was, uh, that, when I become depressed, I lose interest in all my... So I lost interest in bass. Uh, I didn't touch my bass. I didn't play my bass. I didn't look for a band. And then an interesting thing happened. In 1988, 89, I picked up a bass player magazine. Now, this is the first year, I think, that they started. And because up to then, the um, the bass was relegated to like four pages in a guitar bag. Guitar player would have okay. maybe one story on bass every other month. And I right. read it and I was like, this is great. And it got me back into at least picking up my instruments, my GNL El Toro, which not many people know that one, but that's a cool bass. And I had a Hamer Cruise bass that I made fretless and began playing. And then I don't remember exactly, I started to buy and sell basses. I, I, I could find Music Mans for five, six hundred bucks. And then I would go to these guitar shows and the Japanese buyers would pay a thousand or more. Now, were you doing uh, anything to it? Were you, were no, you modding it at all? No, but see, you're that's, just turning it. That, that's why I preferred Music Man's to Fender's because um, Fender's were always dicked with. Somebody changed the pickups or the pop. Sure. Music Man's always were non-modified there we're talking about 1990 you could not go buy a music man pickup from anybody no, nobody okay. other than music man had that pickup so the right. pick guards everything was straight i rarely ever had any music man that i had to it's funny i'm talking about this because i dicked with one i i took a, a music <laughs> man i i from my music gallery uh in my high school years i bought a fretless Stingray with a maple board it was one of only okay. I didn't realize but there were only five of them made. Really? And uh, I what what year base uh, was that? Because I've seen the Fenders with the maple fretless. Yeah, Those no, are no, really it rare. It was in that era. It was like a '79, but it didn't yeah, have yeah. lines. It only had a dot. Right. It only had dots on the side, and I couldn't deal with it. So I bought a Schecter neck for a P okay. for a jazz base, all rosewood beautiful and we installed it on the music man but we forgot that the music man was 21 frets and the fender was not was 20 so mm -hmm. in order to make it intonate we had to move the neck further north and there was actually an inch gap in the bottom of the pocket but i <laughs> use that bass a lot it was a great stingray sound with a very comfortable neck 
So that means you had to drill new holes in the neck to yeah, attach to the body, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't care. And then did you put any kind it. of spacer in there or did you just leave nope. the uh the gap? Just had the gap. You just left the gap. All right. Yep. It was it had it had character, like the front of David yeah, Letterman's teeth like or it. something. Yeah. Um <laughs> So so, anyways, <laughs> fast forwarding now to like ninety one, I'm I'm decided to I'm buying and selling bases, and this is before the internet. So uh, I would send out a mailing list, and I had friends in uh, Florida and New Jersey who also had bases for sale, and and I would list them. So somebody would get a, a single page in the mail every month with a listing of my and these other guys' bases with. Okay. A little description and a price. And it got to the point where I was sending a thousand of those a month. I had to buy a paper folding machine to to put the three creases in the paper. Yeah. I mean it got right. it was a lot of work, but I got to see every base on the market. I got to talk sure. to base players about what they liked. In and how many that, bases a month were you moving? How many were well, you actually? I mean, probably between four and eight. Maybe on a good month. Right, that's pretty solid. So like, yeah. okay, at least one, one, make it a at little least bit one of a profit. week. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Um, now. And you're how old uh, at this time? Oh, uh, twenty-seven. Yeah, twenty-eight. Okay. So that's a nice little uh, hustle. I I would have, uh, occasionally I'd have a base that needed to have work done. So I. Um, there's a guy in Chicago named Hugh McFarlane. He was a repairman. He had his own shop. Mm-hmm. A bit prickly when I first met him because I I didn't know him and I just was talking to him like anybody would talk. I, I got him on the phone. I'm like, I got a guitar show tomorrow. I got a jazz bass and the neck pickup doesn't work. And there's a long pause and he goes, how is that my problem? So I said, <laughs> well, this is starting well. Well, we became friendly the more work I gave him. And this is a guy that people who knew his work and his mentor was a guy named Ed Reynolds. People knew he, those two guys. Ed had moved to Texas, so he wasn't around. But people, there okay. were people that would buy a guitar, guitar center and on the way home give it to Hugh to be refretted because his fret jobs oh, wow. would make any bass hot, sing. You could buy him yeah. you know, whatever, a Mexican Fender or a Squire. And when he put his magic into the fretwork, it was fantastic. So we okay. became friendly and decided around 93, why don't we make, we were like, there's a lot of high-end bases on the market, like Warwick was one of them and, and mm-hmm. Tobias and stuff. And it's like, well, they're great. They play well, but they don't look like a Fender. They don't look. Right. So why don't we, I mean, there was Music Man already, but we, we had decided on an MMJ pickup config and that came about actually i saw a, a a review by jim roberts on the warwick dolphin which had a music man okay. a double double pickup in the bridge single in the neck and you could pull on the pot right. and you drop one coil in the back so that's pickup config is what interests me we also became uh, he already knew Bartolini, and then I met them and became friendly with them. And they began. Where are they creating... based out of? They were they San Francisco. Chicago? No, no, okay. San Francisco. Um, they were always. Bill's the nicest guy in the world. So is his wife, uh, Pat. But they were. Uh, 
they struggled to get production out. They, Bill spent a lot more time with builders who were building one or two a, a month than he should have, really should have concentrated more. But it was a good working relationship. And um, so we had a pickup config, a preamp that we liked. Uh, we took a Music Man body shape, used the north end, made the cutaway deeper to allow for mm-hmm. further access up to 20 the 22nd fret. That last part was kind of a love-hate thing for me because when we moved, when we moved the cutaway, uh, the bass doesn't sit very well on your leg. Now, I tried to remedy that. In the first year, I changed the, the shape, and it got a little better. But okay. it wasn't until we started making J's and P's that I was really, really happy with what we had. But Okay. So... I met Hugh. We decided to put together a base and start a company. And uh, we worked through 90. We started in January 94, creating the prototype. And we had to figure, I mean, I knew the heart, the hardware, the tuners came from Hipshot, although he was my second choice. Schaller was the one who made Music Man. And I asked Schaller to make me tapered shaft tuners. And they said they wouldn't do that. They'll only make tapered shaft for Music Man. And GNL, they won't make them for me. So, good luck. We found Hipshot, it was fantastic. Uh, but everything else, we, we had to like cut the bridges. We used to have a uh, a company would put a bend in a piece of brass, like a shelf, and then we would bandsaw the edges and sand them. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, okay, we, we only did that in the first year, and then we found out that Hipshot, that's what they do. So. They came to our rescue, and um, so it's all the all the bridges, all the Lakeland bridges, which say Lakeland on them. Those are all fabricated by Hipshot. Yes, when it when we went okay. to the when it says Lakeland, it was done there. And the the round bridge was also I wasn't sold on it. And in later years, you know, I think it's a good move because you can always tell when someone's using a Lakeland because of the bridge. Yeah. But I never liked the look. Uh, we actually, the first one was a bigger, bigger ba- base plate than we ended up with. It was about a half inch bigger on either side. It was huge. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so I don't want to get too bogged down in everything here. I'm getting, maybe getting too detailed. We, we, we began marketing with ads and bass player. Uh, we got a review in 95 that was okay it wasn't glowing so the very first okay. the very first lakeland then was a jazz music man pickup configuration yeah okay i'm looking at it right now okay right that's the one uh, uh you sent me that picture earlier today yeah that's that it, is it the first band eq that's the first it lakeland. actually has an extra switch uh we have a mid frequency select on the face of the bass when when we got into production that that mid switch is in the cavity now on a dip switch. Right, right. So on my Lakeland, the, it's the, in the cavity. The first one, but that's I, yeah, mine. Yeah. Mine doesn't uh, even have Bartolini's. Mine has Lakeland pickups. You're right. right. That's a whole. It's a different thing. Um, so we we got we started getting noticed. Uh, I went after. Um, I got Greg Arzab who played with Buddy Guy. He was local, so he he joined the team. Um, I sent a letter to Tross Pradoniak from because I was a big Dwight Yoakam fan, mm-hmm. and he showed interest. Uh, so we got something to him. Uh, 
We also he was living the, out here, the though, right? For me, at, like I have a funny story. Yeah, he's yeah, always Taraz, in California. Yeah, me and Taraz have a funny relationship. Uh, which it's we, good. He, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. Nothing. Yeah, he's fantastic. It's just I he, I was living in this house in North Hollywood, and there was a bunch of us living there, and we would all pay like the main guy at the house our rent every every month, and then he was supposed to give it to the landlord. I never knew who the landlord was. And then one day I get a knock on the door and I'm at home uh, practicing. And uh, I'm like, hey, man. And he asked if the, the main guy was there. I'm like, no, no. Uh, yeah. Can I tell you, can I let him, you know, give him a message? He's like, you know, my name's Taras. I'm the landlord. I'm like, oh. And I, ah. and I didn't know Taras. I didn't know the name in the bass community either. So I didn't know he was a bass player. And then he came. Well, he, he, he had, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, so he came in and he. No, you go ahead. He sat down and he picks up. He picks up my Lakeland and he immediately starts vibing me out for not playing a Fender. And and I'm all I'm thinking is like, who is this guy? Like I didn't know if he was. Are you sure he was? Are you sure he wasn't vibing you out to play a four string? Uh, there was that too. There was that too. <laughs> He was he was joking. Been, he was joking. Now that I I know him, he was joking about it all. But I didn't know him. I didn't know he was a bass player. He all of a sudden there's just the landlord of this house comes in and he starts to give right. me a hard time about my bass. I'm like, what? The, who is this guy? Uh, but <laughs> well, then we, we, uh, he was we quickly connected. In uh, the time he's, I think he still does. He was playing with Dwight Yoakam. No, he he left that gig. He, oh, did it? He went on and. Uh, toured and recorded with Lucinda Williams and finally ended up with Merle Haggard and Richard Thompson. Okay. Interesting connection. And then Merle passed. Right. So now he still does Richard. Uh, and I guess he's a landlord too. Yeah. So anyway, so I started getting hooked up that I knew somebody locally to me in Chicago who knew Rick Dankel. Okay. Now, uh, I, I was a fan of the band, but I didn't fall down the rabbit hole just yet. So I was excited. We made a base. Hugh and I, this is the first year, we, we drove to his hotel because they were in town to open for the dead in August of 95, which ended up being the last Grateful Dead concert. Uh, I'm a deadhead going back, so I was really excited about it. Yeah. And we came to the hotel room, and Rick, answered the door and I had just watched the last waltz. So that was my picture. Okay. Now here he had put on about a hundred pounds. Uh, his eyes were glazed and halfway shut. It was really sad. He was, there were cake and ice cream all around. I guess junkies like that kind of stuff. And it turns out he was using heroin at the time. And, uh, he went and made a phone call to, he, he was very friendly, offered us a beer. He went to the phone to call uh, room service. And about five minutes later, some one of his friends comes up and taps him. They're like, Rick, wake up. So in the during the phone conversation, he fell dead asleep <laughs> and was just sitting there. But the next day at the sh- concert, he was a different person. He was excited about playing. Uh, the whole band was excited about playing, even though the stadium was only about half full. The Deadheads... Even though it was the band, they they did not come in force to see them. But they had a good crowd. I mean, they were used to playing clubs, and here they were at Soldier Field. So. Right. But Rick, 
Levon, the whole bench. We had they had a lot of family and friends that came came with them, and we, we all I say we because Rick included us, and we all walked them up to the stage, and then I went out front, and I've never had a more uh, uh, nervous thirty minutes or forty five minutes because Rick did not know what the knobs did. He kept <laughs> looking and twirling the EQ knobs. And I knew that he didn't have any idea. So yeah. I was just waiting for something to go horribly wrong in the mix. But, you know, at a stadium, it, it worked out fine. Sure. But that that began my quest because as a consumer of base products, I knew that the, the key to having a large a company that a lot of people want their bases, you got to have them with artists and you got to have them on TV. Yeah. I mean, live is good, too. But national television exposure was sure. something that I craved. I was like an alcoholic, but for that. I right. mean, I was, uh, I was, so I'd start to get calls. I, I got a call from uh, Jason Sheff from Chicago. Mm-hmm. I got a call from Tony Garnier from Bob Dylan. This is all early on, within the first couple of years that we started. That's now, exciting. The, the Lakeland, the, what's that? So that's exciting. Like, it's a, you know, super yeah, new company was. and you're, you're getting sought yeah. out. That's really and, exciting. And our our factory was in an area of Chicago that it was a quick. Somebody could call me from downtown, and I could be down there in fifteen minutes. Okay. So the the drill would be a bass player would come in town. He wake up nine o'clock, ten o'clock. He called me. I go down and get him right back to the factory. Try bases, head to lunch, and then. Get them back to the hotel before sound check. Yeah. It was, I can't even, I did that hundreds of times. Right. And it was always my favorite part of the job because I used to get to talk to these players uh, when, especially after we started offering the P's and J's, I had, uh, and five strings, I had designs that almost anybody could find one. That, that they liked in the line. Sure. Uh, I never really had players say, well, I want one that's shaped like a T-bird body. And the, most bass players are pretty traditional and stuck to the shapes that we had. Yeah, and most bass uh, companies and, always are kind of doing a modification off of a Fender. And there's some companies that don't. Um, yeah, there definitely are. But, you know, like uh, Michael Tobias, Fen- I don't Fender, think he's ever put out anything that's uh, a Fender inspired bass correct or right. Federa. I mean, I, and i respect that yeah but then you look at like sadowski in the same category sure and he's all about the fender right shape so i embraced fender early on i always i always liked it and but i in, in 1994 uh the fender what fender offered to the market was not very good mm-hmm. the neck shapes were bad the bases did not feel good. They had cheap hardware. Um, they, they weren't very good. They, let me just tell this. Fender made it easy for us. Right. And Music Man, too. Music Man, Music Man made a quality product, I, I think, and they still do. But the preamps were too hot, too brittle. The necks were too big for a lot of people. And I, I, I saw this and saw these manufacturers not... Not giving people what they wanted. What do you but think that was? What from, they thought was right. Yeah. Would you, do you think for Fender and Music Man, just as you're going to maybe hypothesize about this and being in the market at the same time, 
were they trying to compete with all these new makers coming out and they had to they had to kind of ditch their own lineage a little bit and no, try to try I, to come up with something I, new and I, they could uh, be flashy or I don't something think, I don't think they did react to the market they mm. should have but they didn't okay. they just kept making what they made right uh, I mean I'll give you an example with music man <clears throat> Pino was one of my early guys right Dude. and I think Pino Pino's everybody's made... he's one of everybody's guys <laughs> for some reason you know what I mean like Everybody can agree because on that. Because he's amazing. Yeah, he's ridiculous. He doesn't just play bass. He is bass. It's a yeah, whole thing. Right. It's weird. But he, 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 when I met him, I had been used to hearing and seeing him with a music man fretless. Sure. And he asked me to make him a fretless because he liked strings through body. Okay. And I said, well, did you ask Ernie, you know, did you ask music man to make you a bass with strings through? Because all I would have to do is drill four holes. Yeah. Uh, and he said, uh, they, they said they wouldn't do that and it doesn't matter. Now it might not matter, mm -hmm. but to Pino it mattered. Sure. So, you know, that, that was great for us. Did he ever, we, uh, did he ever all, elaborate on that about what he liked about a bass no. with strength? No, he just, he liked it and that's where that ended. Pretty much. Was okay. it. Yeah. No, he, his original stingray, I, I asked him. Did it have any dead spots? And he, he said, and he points from C on the G string. Yeah. C up to E. He goes, that was all dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but Pino was great, and he did an ad for us early on. We, we finally found a five string that he, he needed to fill his arsenal. And uh, it was great to have him because he was, you know, there are some players who are over-endorsed. Mm -hmm. And you can't believe what they say because they right. tout everybody. Right. And Pino was the exact opposite. Pino right. didn't never did ads. So when he did an ad holding our five string, it, it was pretty exciting. We made a big, like a big poster size blow up of it and brought it to the NAMM show. And, sure. But who is he playing amp so wise? He, um, he's he has some Epiphany equipment. Okay. I think on on most of the touring he does, he's back to an SVT. Okay. Um, which. It's really hard to beat a good SVT. Sure. I mean, it's, with the, the tube sound, it's it's hard to be better than that. But, I mean, if you're a gigging musician, SVT means, you know, forget it. You need right, if somebody you're, to help you carry Yeah, it, I mean, know. Pino's obviously gigging, but I'm looking somebody at else right is now. bringing his amp to the gig. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so I, I got heavily into artists, and I'll skip over that now, because if there's anybody on the list you want, me to tell you about i'll be happy to you should have that list you're right i do yeah um, you text it to me yeah but so so we artists was going well but we were still having trouble making money we were selling through dealers um in 2000 we 2001 2000 we decided to look at importing and there was a guy in 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 northbrook illinois not far named jack westheimer who um, had a brand called Court C O R T, sure, a uh, low a low end brand. Yeah, and he had a factory in Korea, so he came to Chicago. Well, it was close. He's only thirty minutes away. He came to the factory. He's an older guy. He was in his late seventies, and he he looked at it and he said to me, and this wasn't necessarily a compliment. He said the level of detail in your shop is higher than I've ever seen. Uh, this guy's been around. Yeah. 
So, but, so you can either say, yeah, that's great. We think about quality or you guys are wasting too much time when you're building. Mm-hmm. But so we, that became the skyline series. And I thought that would solve all our financial, so now, financial woes. Really? What were the differences between the skyline and then the U S was it, uh, um, was it materials? Was it, was it just really, labor? There's not much, there's not much different on the body and we would get the, bases in without electronics so we would put sure. on, on the, the o2s the o1s had electronics from korea okay. already put in but the o2s we'd put our electronics in but the real difference is in the neck and right. how the neck was the u.s was leveled and saw, threaded right? well it's not so much the grain orientation as how we prepped the fingerboards before the frets were installed okay and then how we delivered the level frets. We ended up doing fret files to almost everything from Korea to the point where we actually bought the Plex machine to be able to do the fret leveling. Okay. So we were very careful on very careful on what was going out to the public. Now I don't know so the Skyline series I don't know what the enough. fret wire is on the Skyline series. Uh one, my base needs a refret. Two, I I want bigger frets. Like those are really small frets. Yeah, they are. They're uh, vintage style fenders. Okay. You could go with a medium or a jumbo. Yeah, I don't but, know if I want to go know, all the way to jumbo. I'd probably go medium. And I was talking I would, to another yeah. bass player online, who's a Lakeland guy, and he just had his work, his bass refretted, and we were just kind of messaging back and forth about it. And uh, he went with a bigger fret size as well. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's the move, man. I don't, the stock frets, they're just they're a little too teeny. But that's what it well, was. It was the, they were um, small to to get the Fender well, thing, the, the v- things, Fender Vintage. Um, the smaller the fret, the better the intonation. So sure. that's one thing. Yeah. And I just, uh, if there was ever a choice, do it like old Fender or do it not like old Fender, I would always do it like old Fender. Right, okay. So that's how we came up with the wire. Now, I would recommend, if you're going to get a refret, I'd recommend Dan Strack here in Chicago because he's worked on hundreds, if not thousands, of Lakeland necks, and he he, he could make it right. Well, yeah. Now, you take now that I know style, you, I'm just going to send he, you the base. <laughs> if you, uh, well, if you take a skyline and you put U.S. frets, then you're pretty close to a U.S. Lakeland at that point. Okay. Except your hardware, your hardware, your bridge, and your tuners are not as good, mm-hmm. but not as high quality. But the difference is minute. minute. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the higher you get with prices, the less bang for your buck you get. Sure. But I will say this, you know, uh, a Lakeland Skyline is like a Ford or a Chevy. Uh, a Lakeland USA or D-Lakeland Basis. Mm. Throw a plug in there, the new D-Lakeland Yeah, Basis. no, we're going to get That's there. We're going like to get there for B- sure. Yeah, it's more like a BMW or a Mercedes. Sure. So the Ford and the Mercedes are both going to get you where you need to go. Yeah. But the the ride is much more comfortable on the Mercedes. Sure, sure. And that's basically what what I was selling with a U.S. base. It's not just the sound you can get out of any bases. And if I turn my back, I'm not going to be able to tell you what pickups you have in it or what brand. Right. But Put a bass in your hands, and within within minutes, 
Yeah, another big difference in the sky. The Skyline series is is satin lacquer on the back of the neck. Mm-hmm. USA Lakeland and D Lakeland is an oil finish. Okay, which was developed by Hugh McFarland, my partner at the beginning, and it's what he would do to people that had lacquer on the back of the neck. He would shave the lacquer and do an oil finish, and then you ended up with a base that feels like an old fender that had thin lacquer that wore off. Right, right, and. So that's the that's what's behind an oil finish on the neck. Okay. So if if you took your O2 and you had the lacquer stripped and you had it oiled, then you'd be real close to a US fender. Right. A US Lakeland. All right. Uh, so things went better. Uh we got into where we were selling a couple thousand bases a year. Uh it, it, there were a lot of it stopped being fun though. I mean, I still enjoyed the artists, but the pressure to get X number of units out every month to be able to pay our bills, sure. the imported product or pay my employees. We were up to about 12, 14 guys in the shop. And now what year is this um, again? What year are we talking about at this let's point? Let's say 2000, 2004. Okay. Uh, and then something else happened. 2004. Uh, I did a uh, anniversary concert, and mm-hmm. I was um, I dreamed I dreamed up this concert where I took these were signature Lakeland guys, and and the way you become a signature guy is you got to be a legend. Right. So we had Joe Osborne, Jerry Sheff, who was Elvis Presley, Elvis Costello, The Doors. We had Bob Glob, who was uh, Warren Zevon and uh, Jackson Brown. And, uh, we had Daryl Jones, who was a member of the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. as well as Sting's band, Madonna. Yeah. Uh, who Miles am I Davis. forgetting? Uh, yeah, Miles Davis. So we had Joe, Jerry, Daryl, Bob, and then we had Duck Dunn. Sure. So I had some legends, and I, I put together a concert and a couple days of meet, meet and greets, and I did a master class, which I have the video for. I'm editing it now. Some problems with the audio, but I put all these guys together for a couple days. We did a concert, the 10th anniversary Lakeland concert. I did uh, video intros to each guy, like a two-minute history. Those are on YouTube. Go Bob okay. Blob, two-minute history. Uh, Daryl Jones, two-minute history. and They're literally two minutes of the guy's career. And then I put him in front of a band called Tributosaurus, which was a local band. Every month they would play one gig and they would be like the Doors and they would play all Doors. Okay. And they would be the Rolling Stones. So I put them in front and, and I put like Joe Osborne playing Let uh, Aquarius, Let the Sunshine In. I, I put uh, Jerry Sheff doing L.A. Woman. You know, right. stuff that he was the original bass player. They're on. quintessential and stuff. Yeah. I put him in front of this band and the audience and put the bass player center stage. I had five SVTs on stage for the finale. Uh, and it was cool. And it's on YouTube. 10th anniversary concert. Look it yeah. up. No, I'll and, have it, I'll have uh, it at the, the Bass Shed YouTube page. I'll, I'll do that and I'll track down those two-minute versions. Yeah, These two minute little clips. Cool. I'll, I'll put all those uh, on on my uh, on my YouTube yeah. channel. But it was a it was a thrilling night, and everybody that came, even non bass players, were kind of learned a lot 
about sure. how important the bass was, and and it was great. It was cool. So that was what I would say the highlight of my career at Lakeland because things started to go downhill. And so that was um, two thousand four. And then when did you? Yeah. When did Lakeland still going on? But when did you? Uh, Leave. Yeah, I probably wanted to say right, that. You I'll told me to the story. This... I didn't know what the diplomatic way to say that. Yeah, was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the, the fifty cent version rather than the five dollar. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, yeah. I think I paid eight yeah. fifty for that. Be, it'll <laughs> eventually be on, written on my website with more detail. But okay, uh, we still weren't making money. I mean, we never made money. We paid ourselves decent salaries, but we we always lost money, and then we'd have to borrow money to to make up for what we lost, to keep going. And in 07, we were going to get into guitars, regular six-string guitars, and I was looking at how to bring the cost down manufacturing-wise. Um, and were you looking at hard-body guitars or semi-hollow? Like, what was style of guitar? No. Fender styles? Because these are all oh, yeah, modeled yeah, no, after a Fender like, bass? Well, we actually were looking at the Jaguar shape for okay. guitars. Um, or take a 494, shrink it a little bit, make a guitar out of that. Mm -hmm. But it didn't get very far. And all my plans to streamline production and it, it, get bases out in the world for less money, um, my bipolar got in the way. I, I became sick or manic, mm -hmm. and this is 07. And I ended up spending a lot of time in, in a hospital and some rehab. And I was out of the office. And when I came back, the guitar project had fizzled out. And things were not going well. And uh, at that point, uh, there was some ownership changes. And my father owned the company. Okay. Uh, he, he bought it out from my partners because we had no cash. And it was what they call a capital call. It was all legal. Yeah, it just happened, and I basically spent '08 through the time I sold finally looking for somebody who would buy Lakeland, okay, pay off some of our debt, and keep me on to right. run it. Sure, and I, I mean, I, mean, I talked to everybody. I talked to Fender. I talked to Music Man. I didn't talk to Gibson. I was scared of that guy there, Henry Jessica. <laughs> I talked to uh, Dean. Okay. Uh, Dean was owned by a guy in Florida. He flew me down and showed me a warehouse full of $200 Dean guitars. And I was like, oh, I don't want this. Yeah. And then uh, ESP, ESP, the Japanese company, who were distributing Lakeland in, in Japan and actually manufacturing a Lakeland, they showed some interest. And they, uh, we kind of made a deal. It was a good deal. It was some cash up front. And they were going to move me to L.A. to run it. So January 2010, my dad comes to the NAMM show with me specifically to go and sign uh, a paper saying that they were going to start the process to buy us. Okay, so, and so the we walk, they buy it. Lakeland keeps the name, but... Well, no, ESP the, would keep... Would own the brand like they right. own Schechter. So, but Lake, right? But Lakeland bases still exist. They're just owned by ESP or Schechter. Correct. Schechter That's what ESP. the idea was. Yeah. Okay. But then the design so, would change. The manufacturing, like, no, would the base be no, the same the quality base? Yeah. The, okay. the manufacturing would change. Uh, they might be made in Japan. 
but I would imagine they would keep the U.S. products. I, I don't know. We never got that far. Yeah, okay, that's true. So th- we walked in to sign the papers, and they looked at us and said, and I still, they, they, they said no deal. I still don't know to this day why they pulled out. Hmm. That was in January of 2010. Okay. So now I was looking at, my dad was like, we're going to shut it down. Yeah. And that would mean I had a bank loan for a couple hundred thousand in my name, as well as credit card uh, debt, pretty high. And the Piricellos kind of saved me. They, well, depending on how you look at it, they found an investor and they made my dad an offer and they bought Lakeland from my dad for okay. X number of dollars. And they bought all the inventory, all the raw materials. And they owned it, and the only thing different was no dam. Now I was when, not included in in the trans room. When this when this purchase of Lakeland happened, the artists that were repping Lakeland did they did a lot of them stay on board? Did some of them uh, kind of jump ship? What happened? What happened so, with the no, artist I, roster? It's, uh, it's all over the place. Yeah, some people kept in touch. Some people were ignored by Lakeland. Oh, wow. Uh, I have a friend of mine who plays with uh, Brian uh, Brian Wilson, a bass player named Bob Lizick, incredible player. And I took a picture of him from my website of him standing out in front of the factory. He always hated the picture, <laughs> but I didn't have any other picture. So he, he told me he sent John five pictures of himself on stage with Brian Wilson. And John... Ignored him, didn't put him. Wow! Up. So if you go to Lake website, you'll I think you'll still find Bob Lizick with the sun shining in his eyes and reflections off of his top of his bald head. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but then then I had other people that were still friendly with them and got along just fine. I mean, I I kind of went into immediate hibernation. I the depression started immediately after right. I let go. So 2010 got really ugly and you know we sold in april my dad who has been my partner all along and you know my mentor he's like don't worry you'll find something he, and i was applying to i i asked to get a job at sweetwater they told me i was okay. un, underqualified <laughs> were they so were they carrying I mean, lakeland though uh at the time i think they were but they they were i did not have enough no, I did not know enough about recording to be one of their sales engineers. Now, okay. they could have made me specialist or something. It doesn't matter. But I had an interview with them, and yeah. I didn't get the job. Uh, my dad was, you know, said, don't worry, you'll find something. And then about a month and a half later, my dad turns on me and says, get a job. Get any job. Okay. I don't care if you have to sweep floors. Sure. Work at McDonald's. Well, get now a job. is this is this kind of in the the height of your manic bipolar episode too? Are you still going with that, or are you well, already? There's different. Did you kind of come no, down I, from I'm that? A, I mean, not that you. Yeah, like, well, I don't I came, know how it works. I I came down the manic in 2007. Uh, I came down with medication and things a few months later, but okay. the depressions are long and deep. Yeah. Now I was in a depression, okay? And from and 2007 at, to 2010. Like we're still kind of just in a no, the, in a depression rut. depression really didn't kick in until I sold it. Okay. So 2010. 
2010. Uh, let's see. So then uh, I had a three-year non-compete. Uh, I had decided I came up with the solution. Well, let, let me backtrack. A few after my dad was requesting me to get a job, he then offered me a job back with the family in the recycling business. Okay. And I had a, a different, I was involved with sales and I did, I did that. I did that job for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, up through 2016 or so. But in my spare time, which I still had plenty of, I had decided, I said, I figured out how I can, how this can work and I can be a part of the Lakeland family. So I talked to John and I said, how about I be a, de- I'll be a dealer. I have a showroom, the factory. They had moved out by that point. I still have plenty of space for a showroom and I'll sell Lakeland bases. And then I'll also sell used bases. I'll open up okay. the D Lake and bases shop. Like I had, right. like I had way back before way I back started in the day. Lakeland. Yeah. Yeah. Go I was all excited about it. John thought it, John thought it was a good idea. Okay. And then about a month later, and I had I had already uh, I had an open house coming a few weeks down the road. John calls me. He says uh, I can't sell to you. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, we rock and roll vintage on Lincoln Avenue is too close, and they're already a dealer, so I can't sell. And I said, Chicago has three million people. Yeah. Are you you're telling me you can't have more than one dealer in the city? Right. No, we can't. And you can't use your name on your new business. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, D Lake and Bases, is that's the non-compete. I said, well, that's non-compete on me starting an instrument company. Sure. Right? He goes, no, if anything related to bass, you can't use your name. So that was a bad call. And that set me back again. Into kind was, of- that, was that him just kind of... Uh- Giving you a hard time, like if that went to court, was there paperwork that supports that argument that you could not use it? Because Lakeland uh, isn't even your full name; it is close to Lakin, obviously, but because it's well, half your name, but yeah. it's uh, it's not. I, I don't know. What, I don't know what would have happened. And I reread the the contract, and I thought I was in the clear. Mm-hmm. But my father at that point didn't want to spend money oh, sure. fighting that. So of course, I just succumbed to it and. And started figuring out what to do next. So uh-huh. I met a guy. I met a guy whose job it was to hook factories overseas up with manufacturers because I had I had no employees. I had no builders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I I got hooked up with a factory in Korea, and in the latter half of 2013, I brought over. I, I sent them a Joe Osborne and a Bob Glob USA. And I said, make me these exact bases. Okay. I got prototypes, and they were really good. Yeah. And I sent the I sent hardware so that they were Korean bases, but they had U.S. hip shot hardware. Uh, pickups were made in Korea, but made by another company, and they were really good. And so it was four, 2014, I came out with the first, I had the first batch of D-Lake, and I think it was like 30 of them I got in. Okay. And uh, was They're trying real- to sell them for about a thousand, eleven hundred to twelve hundred. Okay. Which which was the price point of a Skyline Jazz or P. I was in that. I was yeah. in the price point. But I didn't have the brand name. It was only myself. Um, I had a fast forward now a few years, and I 
I, I marketed, I went after artists again. I started giving stuff away like I used to, which, you know, giving stuff away was important at Lakeland. And I was trying to build a company. We really couldn't afford it. But in order to be in that league, that's what you had to do. Sure. You really did. You, uh, and I would give good breaks to touring musicians. You know, and my, my cutoff was if you're on national TV, then you probably get a free base. So, um, in any event, I, I I tried to walk the walk again, and and 2014, 2015, uh, I had a whole batch of bases come in at the beginning of 2016. Uh, it was a minimum order, but it was big. It was like 50 bases. None of them were sold. Um, there's a company in Florida called Base Central. You're familiar with them, right? Yeah. Or no? Yeah. I've yeah, never and, been there, but yeah, I know uh, of them. Of I tried to... I decided to work a deal with them where they would be the importer and then I would get a royalty, but they, I wouldn't have to touch them because they were, the bases were coming into my factory in Chicago and I would have to go through each one. I had, I had a tech who worked at Lakeland named Dan Strack and he would come in and do all the setups. I mean, he would do like 20 bases. Right. In three hours. So that's the guy who's going to refret right. mine, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I didn't I didn't want all this. Yeah, it was too much for me. It was really getting to me. And in 2016, I got sick again. Ended up time in hospital in Chicago. I spent time in a clinic in Houston for that was specialized to the kind of bipolar treatment. And um, when I got out, I, I was in depression and I wanted nothing to do with the business. I, 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 I had all these bases. They were sitting in cases. They were badly set up, but they were good bases. And I just didn't want to touch them. And then I started feeling better. And in 2018, I started going through them and I started selling off what I had, but selling them for between six and eight. That's oh, what wow. the market was. Okay. Yeah. I could I could not bring them over from Korea with U.S. parts and sell them as an ongoing business for six or eight. It's not enough margin. Yeah. And I wanted to sell to dealers too, and it didn't work out. So basically, I started, but I started getting interested again in bass and guitar. Actually, I started playing six string guitar, and uh, I forget how it came up, but Dan Strack said I can build you a telly. And I always liked George Harrison played in all Rosewood Telly in the movie Let It Be and the rooftop concerts the Beatles put on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said, can you make me one of those? And he said, yeah, I'll be out of Walnut, not Rosewood, but it'll look good. So he made this guitar, and it had a lot of Lakeland styling to it. And I mean, I'm talking minor things like how the back of the headstock meets the neck and it's sure. kind of reinforced there a little bit more and, and how the neck... The neck doesn't have a neck plate, but it has the frules. It has the cups. Right. And uh, I was knocked out. The quality was fucking. Inc- I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know. No, that's fine. Her. No, yeah, it go was for it. really incredible, incredible. And this guy uh, was doing repairs and building. He was still working at a furniture company, which I think he's just about to leave there now. He's got enough business, but he's building guitars for people. And I said, Hey, can we do things? like we used to do at Lakeland, where I would get the bodies and the necks made out of a company out of Montana who makes them. 
and I'll get the body painted. I got a guy that does nitro finishing now, and I'll give you the painted body and all the parts, and you do a fret job and install the components and put the decal on the headstock, and we'll make USA D Lakin bases, and okay. that's how it was born, and that and that's where we're at now. Cool, and then we're, this. We're, this incarnation of D. Lakin is super, super new, right? You just sold your first one like a few days ago. I or, did. DL001 has yeah, been sold that, to Bill, Bill Gable in Atlanta. It's out there in yeah. the wild. So, I, look, I, one of the things that I want to be different than Lakeland at the end for me was that I want to have fun with this. And sure. there's, I want to have fun talking to bass players like I used to talk to artists I'm happy I want to talk to anybody who wants bass for yeah. as long as they want to talk because I can talk about bass for days yeah yeah no um, you know your history wanna, on on the instrument like about the history I, and, and the and, construction of it like last week I think we were on the phone for a few hours and you're like you're you know a yeah. lot about that that was fun <laughs> uh, but I learn every time I talk to somebody I'm learning about it and sure. so I want to have fun I'm also there are, as a collector of basses, I can't afford old Fenders. Uh-huh. Um, and there are basses that, do, that don't exist that I want. Like, short scale is a big thing for me now. I, okay. I, I, I really like, there's a couple of records that have short scale that stick out to me. Get Your Yaya's by the Rolling Stones. Now that, all Stones is short scale. But that record, he's not buried in the mix. He's right up front. Uh, Grateful Dead, Skull and Roses has a bass sound that I think is better than any recorded bass sound ever. Also short scale. Okay. So, but I, I but the short scale basses that I've played, like a Mustang yeah. uh, or Music Master, the bodies are too small. They're not comfortable. They don't balance right. well. So I'm taking a short scale, thirty and a half inch scale length, and I'm bringing that to proper body shapes. They'll be okay. smaller than the full scale, but they'll be, but they'll be uh, short scale versions. They might be seven eighths as big as a P bass, you know, or right. something. So, uh, so that, and then I'm also going to make 34 inch scales for people that want those. Cause there's going to be plenty of people that the longer you get from what I've figured out, the longer you go, the clearer the tone gets, the shorter the bass from nut to bridge uh, the more vibration the string's going to go through. Sure. It's going to flip around a lot more. Yeah, it doesn't it's not have the have same tension. tension. Yeah, exactly. So what is that that translates into something that should be the opposite, but the smaller bass is going to have the bigger sound. Mm -hmm. But we'll find out for sure. I'm, I'm, I've got a, a prototype that I got from Korea that I never went into production, which is a short scale. It's kind of like a harmony, and I put a single bisonic pickup and it's 30 and a half and it sounds great nice so we're building the, the first solid body short scale with the with the bisonics being built as we speak i should have that in about four weeks and then the and, um, the d lincoln that's out there you released uh you know you kicked out of the bird's nest what uh what what kind of base was that was that a p was that a j was that a short scale but say that again. I'm not following you. The uh, the D. Lankin that you that you sold, the first one that's out there. What what style of bass oh, was that? Was that a P bass? Was well, that a jazz bass? I I took an order. Okay. I have four. 
I have two J's and two P's that are right now in Montana being cut. Okay. So this customer has one of those J's and he's got he's got a one of a kind color not a one of a kind, but a color I used at D Lakin called Frost Silver, which is like yeah, silver I like that with color. little bits of diamond in it. Yeah. Yeah. So um I have to go to an auto body shop and have them uh, mix me up a quart of the, a pint of that paint to send to my finisher. Uh, but uh, so that's the first one. It's Frost Silver Jazz will be DL001. The the short scale I'm making, I think I'll just have it'll probably be an X prototype. I'm okay. not going to sell it, and people like the low serial numbers. So yeah, yeah. But uh, I've got a couple other people thinking about it. But I mean. People want to see them. Sure. Some people want to try them yeah. before they're going to buy. Of so course. That's I, honestly, absolutely reasonable. If I if I sell one to two bases a month next year, I'll be happy. Okay. And if someday, four or five years down the road, I sell 10 bases a month, that's enough. Yeah. You're just and having fun bigger, doing it. I'll, if it. If it gets bigger, I'll find a way to keep going. There are a couple other builders even in Chicago that could would probably join up and do things, but uh, and then I the, want to have fun. What's what are the pickups and uh, what are you doing for pickups and uh, are they are they active passive bases? Are they just passive? And then what are you doing with the hardware? Like, talk a little bit more okay. about what's going well, on with the base. Sure. Well, hardware is all hip shot now. He is making a custom bridge for me. Okay. It's a, what he calls a style B, but I got I want a different look on the saddles. I want them to look more like stainless. They're not out of stainless, but they're I want them to be a dull look. He's yeah. got shiny chrome, so there'll be a custom bridge. The tuners are all be uh, they'll all be tapered shaft. I don't know if you're hip to that, but in a fender with a full round shaft, you gotta wind the. It, the string doesn't wind to the bottom like it should. A tapered shaft, when you're putting strings on, it'll right. naturally want to go to the bottom, which is sure. where you need to be. Right. So tapered shaft tuners, custom bridges, um, pickups are going to be the choice of the customer. On a J and a P, Fralins are the default. But if you want something else, just tell me what it is. As long as I can get it, I'll make them. I'll make a J base and a P base with a bisonic pickup or two bisonic pickups. There is, with the way I'm manufacturing, there is options, endless options. Yeah. Not only color, but pickups, active or passive. I mean, you never know when an so active it's, base it's, is going to work almost, well. So yeah. it's almost like a, a custom base company uh, to the point of like there's, as long as you have access to it, um, and I guess the customer would only know that if they presented with a specific color or a specific, you know, type of pickup or something that if you were able to access right. it. Uh, but it's, it's it sounds well, like you're kind of doing custom bases where it's like, all right, I want this color, these pickups. Like you have your default mode, but then there's upgrades like most companies offer. You right. know, if you want this, then it's an extra $100, $150, whatever. Um but you'll go so far as to not even just have your options, but it's you can really get into some customization with the instruments. They're, yeah, they're, they're made specifically I mean, for the customer. 
I mean, even going to the next step, if somebody's got a custom shape they want, okay. well, I can hook them up with the guy who designs all the shapes for me is a guy named Kirk Hunter. He's in Cincinnati, and he works per hour like a lawyer or something. Yeah, fifty bucks an hour, and and he works. So if a customer wants to design his own body, uh, I can I can hook him up with my designer, and they can work together, and then present it to the builder, and the builder will quote what it costs to build. So the, it gets true customization. I think mostly it's going to happen like you had just talked about it, where you, I mean every order is going to start with a conversation. Preferably sure. phone, but email or text with me talking to the bass player about what he wants. Yeah. And I can give him an idea right on the phone where where the pricing is going to be. I mean, they're going to start at about 30, 32, it looks like now, and they'll go up to about 442, maybe. Maybe yeah, okay. 442, 4,200, I'm sorry, 4,500 if you want blocks and binding and inlay and stuff. Sure. But, um, and on all strings, priced. like four strings, five strings, six, you'll do any. Well, yeah, no, there'll never be a six. Never there be will six. be fives. Was there ever a Lakeland There will six? be fives. Not while I was there. I don't okay. know if they make one now. I don't know. I either. mean, I don't hate, I just, the market's too small and I, I never really un- understood the instrument. Yeah, it's yeah. just not my thing. Uh, to be honest, I'm not very big on five strings either, but right. I'll make them because people want them. Yeah, well, I appreciate and that I you do because I play one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you make one. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll be able to put together wh- whatever people want. It will be priced uh, a little bit lower than USA Lakeland mm-hmm. and other other competitors. I think we're we're still going to be at the, you know, the right side of the price, you know, I mean, it's a lot for an instrument and I understand that. And I I wanted to be open to a larger audience. And I did that with the skylines Mm -hmm. and I did that with, uh, uh, with my last line of bases, but I just feel like doing a little more personal approach and rather than, uh, and go with quality, not quantity. Sure. Sure. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, at, at one point, I'm sure, as long as, like, your uh, your team is small. Right now, it's just you, so your team is small, but. No, no, it's, it's I, me. I mean, it's, it's not Kirk just Hunter. you. Okay, well, yeah, how many people you got? Because you had told me about Lakeland. No, you guys, like, what, eight people working at the factory at one point when it was really starting to pick up? No, but you were still outsourcing work. Twelve. Twelve. Twelve right. people. Yeah. Uh, we were still getting the bodies and necks cut for us, right? Right. Uh, and we're using the we're using the same manufacturer and the same shapes that that we used to do at Lakeland. Yeah, I like the, I, I like I the Lakeland body shape for sure. And I like the weight well, of the be honest, that, I, I really to be like, honest, the Lakeland body. We're not copying the Lakeland body shape because I feel right. like I said earlier doesn't sit well. Right. I well, like the anyways, weight of it, and but, I and I don't sit with my base like. Like we've talked, I wear my base high enough that even when I sit, I still wear a strap. Uh, so I don't right. ever really you. play a, you know, a lap base, and that's just uncomfortable to me in in general. Like it's not, right. I just never right. got into it. So, but um, I don't know. 
I think we're gonna I think we're gonna do well. I think there are people out there that that want the quality level, and musicians can always find a way to get what they need. That's sure. one thing I've learned. Yeah. Um, train. Look at. I would ask bass players. Urge you to look at your collections, and what in your collection is not doing you any good other than being part of a collection. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, free up some cash and get what you want. I'm yeah. not saying necessarily a D Lakin, but get what, get something else. And then uh, where, I know your website's not up yet, but at what point, uh, when can we look for your website to be up so that we can stop by and uh, maybe see I'll, some pictures of some things or read more about yeah, the well, colors you do offer as base options or what the options are and all that. Yeah. Basically, it's going to be any any color you can communicate with us, anything that exists. But there'll be some pictures. But the website should be live uh, in about four weeks, and it will have uh, concept drawings of all these models that I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And as we as we start delivering finished bases, we'll have a photo gallery that will, you know, grow, sure. and people will be able to see in the flesh. But uh, the drawings have we have a, a pretty cool headstock shape that was mm-hmm. originally the Lakeland headstock, and you'd see in that picture if you use that picture, uh, that headstock it says Lakeland, but uh, Fender didn't like the our headstock in 1995, and we had to, we couldn't go into production on it. But things are different now. Okay. So, We'll All right, so you're happens. using you're right because there's there's pictures online of D Lake and bases that have a specific head headstock shape, but the new the new batch it's different. Yeah, it's going to be different. It's different, and uh, it's more yeah. like the Lakeland, and then it's also the Lakeland neck radius, correct? Well, the like neck on, shapes are, are well. Yeah, like on mine, I have a compound example, radius on my base. It'll be the same as that. Yeah, yeah, it will. It will and I really that. like the feel of that. That feels good to me. On the four strings will have the ten inch radius, I think is what we always use. Mm-hmm. A little bit slightly flatter than a fender. Sure. But I mean we can't do better. The the Lakeland neck shape was taken by uh taking Joe Osborne's base, sending it to Montana and they copied it. Same with okay. Bob Glob's sixty four. So yeah. I can't really do much better on that. Sure. So we're gonna use that. Sure. So it'll be the jazz bass based on a 60 Fender and the P bass based on like a 64. And then, of course, we'll do P basses with J necks. A lot of people like that. Sure. Right. I think we're going to, our motto, our motto is we'll never say no. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's cool, you want man. Like, we'll make it. I was, I remember telling a friend of mine, uh, and I know I've talked to you about it, how much I was, how, the plans to mod my Lakeland. Um, and I remember telling this friend, this was, I don't know why, I don't know, I can't remember exactly how the conversation went, but it was either going to mod the Lakeland or go buy another base and then just kind of bastardize it. And my friend was like, man, why, why do all that? Why don't I just like kind of get a base custom built? Like if it's not the base you want, it shouldn't have somebody else's name on the headstock. I'm like, huh? That's an interesting right. point. I don't. I, I I agree with the the ideology of that. Like that that makes sense to me. 
But at the same time, like, well, it's this next shape that feels really good to me that I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> like, I can't. I like the neck. So I, that's why I'd keep this neck is because so I don't really care about the name on the neck. Regardless, if the instrument feels good to me and sounds good, then I don't care. Um, right. But I like that. I like that approach of making basses specific to the individual because everybody has different desires uh, out of an instrument and is. You know, well, like yeah. overall and, weight I mean, of it is good and balance is good and neck's good and it's clear and it stays in tune. Then, yeah, sub out different pickups and strings and preamps and all that. Like, that's well, all well, variable I, information. Yeah, and unfortunately, what's going to have to happen if the customer wants a particular preamp, a pickup that I've never had any experience with, then I'm going to tell them, you know, we're going into this blind. I can't. I can't make a judgment. I know what Freyland sounds like. I know what the Bisonic sounds like. I know what the Bartolini preamp sounds like. Sure. But I'm looking into things like Mojotone has a Music Man clone preamp from the mid-70s. Okay. The first preamp that Stingrays used. And I'm putting, I'm testing one now. And then I'll be able to either get behind it or tell people don't go there. Was that 9-volt um, or 18-volt? It's a nine volt. Nine volt. No, nobody's ever been able to tell me other than more headroom what eighteen volt does better than nine volt. I don't know if Maybe it does anything. Know, but I no, know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It just means that now I got to deal with two batteries. Always, yeah. I always laughed at. Yeah. I think right. there was a, a little surge that happened in the nineties when they were just trying to make it something better for no reason. <laughs> yeah, it's got more headroom. I'm yeah. like, okay, what does that mean? Nobody was able, ever been able to tell me, but um, you know, so there's there are people there are companies that build custom now, like Carvin will you know build you something from the ground up. And did they just partner with somebody used, else? I think they did. I don't know yeah. who it is. Keysol or but something like that. I, for, I forgot, but I, I know a, I've read it. Uh, a guy that used to do uh, graphic work for Lakeland. We had we used to have these painting like renaissance paintings and we would throw a lakeland base in the middle of it oh, yeah, Photoshop. Those. it was I've really funny yeah. right i'm gonna try to i'm gonna he sent me sent me those to put up on on the website when i get things going i want to put memorabilia like that up there and videos and things from the lakeland days so i, I got a lot of i got a lot of things in the archives but cool. he, this fellow who was a customer of mine for a long time he he showed me this base that he spent four thousand dollars having custom made, and mm. it's more of a what we call a coffee table type base, you know, with the fancy wood and, sure. and five piece neck through body. Right. And he's like, "Yeah, they did a good job. They gave me what I wanted. It doesn't play that well, though." <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's the point of that? Well, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's on the individual. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't want a bass like that. I want a bass I can take to a gig, you know, that's that's nice and sounds yeah. good and comfortable to play, but it's not too pretty that uh, I'm afraid to it was play fun. it. It was fun. I used to do, I had, I brought Joe Osborne out to a couple of NAMM shows, and we don't have enough time here, but we should do a show about Joe, because I got a lot of Joe stories. Let's do but it. But just to give you an example, he's, he's looking at the NAMM, and we're, I don't know if we're at Warwick or... It was this company, was a very religious guy that owned it. I can't remember the name. And they had all these, you know, like I say, like nine-piece neck-through bodies with wing, with all this crazy wood and 
you know, they were very art, art like. Yeah, and yeah. Joe looks at it. He's got a southern accent. He goes, "Yeah, that one there'd look good if it had a clock in it. You know, <laughs> something you want to hang up." I mean, it was just so. There's yeah. a, there's a lot. Just a furniture there's a piece. lot out there that I don't like. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like I playability. I, I, to me, an old Fender or something that I made that was well made is that's art in and of itself. It doesn't yeah, have to have fancy wood. But we're you know we're I. By next year, hopefully at this time, I'll be offering quilted and flame tops. Because there are people that like those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's an if it's an option, uh, you know, make it. If people want to buy the clock You're base, f- sell them the clock base. You know, uh-huh. I mean? like that's right. Hey, yeah. it helps you tell time. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool, man. Anything else? Well, cool. uh, we'll be looking out for the website. Uh, make sure. When when that's up, let me know, and I'll make sure that there's links to it. Uh, and cool. I'll be posting yeah, uh, those cool. things you talked about. I'll put those up on the base YouTube channel uh, when this podcast episode comes out. Those will already have been up. That sounds great. Yeah, we, we didn't get a chance to go into some of the artists very deeply. So that would be a fun, another show to do, too. Yeah, let, I, let's revisit of, it. A lot of really interesting up, people. After you get the website up, we'll do we'll do another one. We'll touch base again, and uh, yeah. we'll talk about the company and a little bit more. That sounds great, and uh, we're going to get some of these guys to do your do your podcast. There's a lot of interesting players. I think your audience would love them. Yeah, that'd be fun, and I'd love to talk to them. All right, man, we'll be in touch. Thanks, Ryan. I'll see you. All right, thanks, Dan. have enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about upcoming guests and other base shed happenings uh, you can text the word shed s-h-e-d to 66866 uh, i try to make it easy i try to make it easy as possible to stay connected and let's be honest we're uh, we're all sending texts throughout the day so just shoot me one shoot me one that says shed s-h-e-d to 66866 and we'll get you plugged into the newsletter. You can also hear previous versions of the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Please take a second to rate the show. Um, and if you'd like, you can donate to keep this thing happening. There is a link for that at thebayshed.com backslash podcast. All right. That was Dan Lakin. Uh, I really dug getting to know a little bit more about the uh the beginning of of Lakeland bases and his backstory as a bass player. Um some of the things I already knew. Um but I, I try not to ever just pull information out of somebody that I already know. I'm always looking for new information for myself too. Um and I and I I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that uh, interview with Dan. I'm really looking forward to D Lakeland bases. Uh, Dan and I are talking about me publicly reviewing one for everybody, and um, I'm looking forward to that. And after I do that, I would like to have him back on to talk to him. After I've played the bass, I want to talk to him uh, about about my thoughts on the bass, and uh, I think that'd be fun. Um, those videos will be up on YouTube a little later today, and I will also be reminding everybody about this interview after um, Dan's website is up for D-Lake and Bases. Um, 
so that everybody can can check out what he's up to. He is on Instagram. Uh, you can check out some bases there. He does have a new headstock for the bases now. Uh, they they have a little bit more of a Lakeland vibe to them. Um, so you know, for those of you that like the Lakeland head headstock, I definitely like the neck. I really I can't stress that enough. I really like the neck on my on my Lakeland. Um, that's it, folks. That's Dan's story. I'm sticking to it. My name's Ryan, and I'll catch you on the next one.